Hi everyone, Lauren Hubelay here. This is Restoring Immunity, Explorations of Polyvagal Theory. Clinician Deb Dana teaches that in order for the nervous system to feel safe, we need contacts, choice, and connection. Today, I'd like to offer a bit of context as we mark the 32nd episode of Polyvagal Explorations. That's a lot of exploring and meandering to have followed as a listener. Perhaps you missed a few episodes over the holidays and would like to jump back in, or perhaps you're brand new. Welcome or welcome back, and I have some great news for you. My colleagues Cameron, Megan, and I will be dedicating these next four episodes to recapping our essential takeaways to give context to all of our explorations. Today we go back to basics and we look at the fundamental principles of polyvagal theory as proposed by Stephen Porges and Deb Dana. Hierarchy, neuroception, and co-regulation. So jump back on in with us as we take a close look at what those terms have come to mean for us. So, hey, ladies, we, we've been talking about this idea of polyvagal theory for quite some time now, um, and it's certainly time to do a recap. So we plan today to take a look at um, the three fundamental principles. Is that how they're referred to, Cameron? Three guiding principles of polyvagal theory. Yes, Deb will often say the three organizing principles. Organizing principles. Okay, so we're going to take a look at the organizing principles of polyvagal theory. Hierarchy, neuroception, and co-regulation. And so, Cameron, we're going to have you start us out by giving um, us an idea, an overview of what is hierarchy when it comes to polyvagal theory. It's a really wonderful aspect that's thanks to the work of Stephen Porges um, because he was the first one that really realized there was in fact a hierarchy. When we say hierarchy, Deb Dana put it to a ladder, but it, it's the function, it's the flow of these three autonomic states. And it's really helpful when you start being curious about your autonomic states that that ventral vagal wonderful organizing principle sits at, at the top of the would-be ladder and that the sympathetic is one step or two rungs down into the midsection uh, of that hierarchy on the ladder. And the dorsal vagal is that bottom rung, way down at the bottom. And another aspect of the hierarchy, it also follows our evolution. So at the bottom of the ladder, 500 million years ago, when we were all limited to just being reptilian in our responses, that's where my friend the turtle comes in, because it's only survival adaptation was that shut down, that conservation, that detached place when it perceived cues of danger or threat. And then 400 million years ago, we developed our, our limbic brain, which brings us up to having that fight or flight. And then I think of the cavemen. They could run really fast, or if they were lucky, they could club whatever was fighting them in the moment. 
not a lot about. And then a hundred million years ago, we as human beings developed this wonderful prefrontal cortex, which also corresponds with the ventral vagal. Now we can be curious. Now we have the ability to look about. Now we have perception. Now we have social engagement. And that completes the top of our ladder. And what I love about this is really appreciating that ideally we want enough ventral vagal energy, but we do move through the states. Mobilization as energy it is just that. It's only when it's mobilization with a cue for danger or threat that we step down that ladder and away from that wonderful ability to have that ventral vagal perspective and engagement. If we can't resolve whether that was a, a car backfiring in the street or gunfire, fire, our system's not gonna let us off the hook and come back up again. We need enough cues of safety that in this moment, I'm actually okay. If that can't resolve, our biology automatically takes us down the hierarchy to that dorsal vagal, which is that deep detached state of survival. And that's the place where we feel we're very, very far away, but it brings our system into that conservation mode biologically for that survival response. Now, where the hierarchy comes again is when we're at that bottom of that ladder, life is far away, like it all is distant. It's the longest distance from the bottom of the hierarchy to the hop, top of the hierarchy. Often down at the ladder, we as humans forget anything and everything we have ever known in perspective, in resources, in well-being. It, it may be difficult to even know oneself versus another. And when we, our system brings us back up, which it naturally is hardwired to do to come back up that ladder, we will, breathe, we will cross through that sympathetic place again, just that mobilized place. Why that's really helpful to appreciate that's part of the flow up the ladder is it often comes with that little energy burst. And that's where our systems need some of those guardrails to come up the ladder safely because we've been deep, deep down and start to come up the ladder and then get caught in that sympathetic without some of the safety, we'll start to have thoughts like, oh no, that was terrible. I have to do something, I have to not go back there. And you can feel the mobilization will start to, and if we don't have that little assist going back up the ladder and the hierarchy, we're likely to have a system that's going to go back down. Mm -hmm. So we want to really appreciate that hierarchy because it brings us back up again. And sometimes that's where some support, some practice, some, you know, some aspect of helping that regulation come back. Because then once we're back into enough regulation, we have that wonderful part of our brain plugged back in again, then we can have perspective then we can have an ease of processing. Okay, what just happened? You know, where am I now? So that's, that's the hierarchy of the three states and how they function with each other. And the biggest principle of all is with enough ventral vagal energy, we can have mixed states. With enough ventral vagal organizing, we can have excitement, we can have fun, we can have play, we can have engagement, we can, you know, be elated. With enough ventral vagal energy, we can also be mellow. We can experience awe, we can experience quiet, we can experience calm. But when there's enough sort of sense of danger, and that's where Megan was gonna help us with neuroception, you know, biologically our systems won't hold on to that ventral vagal 
and then there's those cues for danger of threat that take us out of that really wonderful organized regulation. Oh, so beautifully put, Cameron. So let me just recap to make sure I understand that um, the hierarchy on one level of looking at it, it is, um, the, are the three states that belong to our autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. and, and this is one more state than we learned about for quite a number of years. So we've added a state in there, right? We're not well, just- we, have, we can appreciate it. What are adaptive survival responses into dorsal vagal and sympathetic and what are then known as the blended states, which have enough central vagal. Right, right. So we've got, we have these three, we have these three states, but these three states also are in line with how we have biologically evolved. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful. Any thoughts from you, Megan, on that? Yeah, Cameron, that is so beautifully put. And I think as we begin to move into talking about neuroception, you know, our goal here always is to um, bring this down to the present moment and where the rubber hits the road and how understanding the three states of the autonomic nervous system or the three organizing principles of polyvagal theory, how does that actually look and impact our day-to-day -day life? And so if we take what Cameron just illustrated for us and the three states of the autonomic nervous system, and then we think about, um, so we're sitting here and we're having this conversation together and maybe somebody appears at my door. And so how does our autonomic nervous system um, sort of navigate that? So first, I we, determine through our neuroception, which is how the neural circuits are constantly scanning our internal and external environment for cues of safety and danger, I might look at the door and decide whether my system below the level of awareness, I'm going to get a vibe, a feeling, a knowing of whether the person at the door feels safe or not, say, and if it feels safe, I might get excited to see the person if I recognize them, or maybe they've brought me a package or, or maybe there's something in my system that's knowing and determining whether it makes sense to my logical mind or not, that it doesn't feel right or it doesn't feel safe. And then I'm going to move out of the ventral vagal state and into one of the two protective states. Either I'm gonna to decide to mobilize, and this isn't a decision. From ventral, we move usually to sympathetic, unless we feel like it's a major danger or life threat. And I will decide what I wanna do about it. I will mobilize. And if for some reason I feel very threatened, I might move straight down into dorsal where I shut down to conserve my energy and to try and protect myself. So when something brings us out of our natural state of curiosity about the present moment, typically the first step is that we'll use our social engagement system to try and solve the problem. And if the problem is too great or we determine that it can't be solved with our social engagement system, then we move either into sympathetic and mobilize or dorsal. And 
you know, as Cameron was so beautifully illustrating, these things are, are happening below the level of our conscious awareness. So when we talk about how our autonomic nervous system determines whether something is perceived as safe or dangerous, these are not conscious decisions. And in fact, sometimes we can find ourselves in a position where what we are neurocepting is in conflict with our mind. And we sometimes try and rationalize out of our inner knowing. Neuroception, I have heard it referred to several ways in different things I've read. Sometimes it's called a sixth sense, or sometimes it's called the inner watchdog. Or people have really coined it all these different catchy terms, and they all, I think, do open a level of understanding for me about what's going on. So if we are biologically wired for two things, connection and protection, then when we, when our nervous system and our neural circuits perceive that it's safe to connect, we will hang out in that um, ventral vagal state that's unique to mammals that Cameron talked about. If we're picturing the hierarchy of the ladder using that image for now, it would be the highest level when it's safe for us to control, have more control over our behavior, to determine when we want to mobilize and when we want to be more still. We have more control in that state because we feel safe. When we neurocept that something feels um, like we need to respond and move into a protection. Again, not our conscious mind, the autonomic nervous system is scanning for cues. And if we talk about what those cues might be for a minute, those cues are things that we might not even ordinarily think of. You know, something like someone's voice, that makes sense. But even Deb refers to the way that we scan the environment for safety and danger. Even the voice, we hear the tone of the voice before we hear the content of what's being said. Or, you know, we see the way the mouth is moving or the eyes, how wide are the eyes open or how closed are the eyes. Um, it's been actually determined, which is so interesting, that a head tilt is a safe gesture universally, regardless of what culture we come from. So there are ways that we are reading our external environment and our internal environment, what's going on inside the body um, without our rational mind needing to be involved. And Stephen Porges coined this neuroception and how we neurocept our environment determines what state of the three states of the autonomic nervous system we are in at that moment. Oh, lovely, Megan. Lovely. Cameron, do you have anything to add on neuroception? It's just so wonderful to appreciate um, Ed, how our biology is really looking out 24 seven to take care of ourselves. And it, it's not waiting for a story about what's going on. It's taking in that information, which you know, Megan has talked about. And this is always, I love where, you know, voice alone. I mean, there's visuals, there's like, oh my goodness, I just got a stomach ache, so I might not be giving cues. And it's like, you know, the, the simple statement, I'm, I'm, I'm not angry can be said, I'm not angry at you. 
what is wrong? <laughs> or, I, I'm, I'm not angry at you. Or I'm not angry with you. Mm. I think we all can sense. And that, that sense of sensing, we all know. You're right, Megan. We recognize it. Mm. But realizing our system may be toned or tuned to respond in a certain way from ex past experience, which doesn't always feel like our system, it gives us a lot of room to have a decision. It often takes us somewhere based on how home previous experience really. Well, Cameron, what you're saying right there, it, it, it explains why two people have a completely different experience when they walk into a room or when you meet someone. And I know with my, my husband, we can both meet the same person and I'm picking up all kinds of cues of danger. And he's like, you know, what's, what's the deal, honey? You know, what, what's the problem? And I'm not sure what it is, but it, it comes from how my system's tuned and toned, as you would say, Cameron. And we all have that, right? And, and this, when we be start looking at the world through individuals with different neuroception going at the same time, we can understand why we have so many conflicts. And, and you actually find it quite miraculous that we can come together on so many ideas, right? Yeah. It is, it's remarkable. Right. You know, I think, Lauren, that that is such an important point here, that this is not about choice. You know, the way that we neurocept is based on our biology. It's based on our past experiences. And I think that that opens up so much room for tolerance for us to know that the way that we are neurocepting a situation or that somebody is having an autonomic response to us, it is not personal. It just is, it just is what is. It is, it is. And, and you know, this leads right into my sharing about co-regulation because um, um, you two are my favorite co-regulators, by the way. Um, and yet each time when we come on together, each of our neuroception are going, right? And we're looking like, how's Cameron doing today? And how's Megan? And is everyone okay? And, and Cameron, you're doing the same thing, right? And Megan, we're just checking in with each other. And as soon as we settle in and we be, we realize we're all safe, right? Which we already feel pretty much anyway. Um, and we've picked up all these cues of safety, we, the co-regulation begins. And that's such a magical journey to have with anyone. And I think um, the lead in from neuroception is really important um, because that explains why we can co-regulate with some people and others we can't or at different times depending on where they are on their autonomic ladder at the same time and in uh, my lifetime my uh, husband was and has been a primary co-regulator 
But there are times when he's very withdrawn and in his introverted world that my, my neuroception is not getting those same warm, fuzzy feelings from him. And then um, I start picking up some cues of feeling a little unsafe. What's going on here? And so I can't quite have that co-regulatory experience. So let, let's take that word apart. What does that mean to co-regulate? That means we're using another human or another mammal to help bring our nervous system into regulation. And this, this um, sense of connection is part of how we're wired. And, and this is a, a biological desire to want to connect with one another. And yet there are times when we're deep in a state of dorsal and we've disconnected that um, we have to take a pause from that. Um, and as soon as we begin to want to connect again, we know that we're moving up our, up our ladder and getting in enough ventral vagal. But let's look at this co-regulation because it can have all shapes and forms. And I think one of the, the nicest thoughts I had in our process was how many times in, in my marriage that I just asked my husband to just sit in the room with me, honey. I, I'm working through some stuff today and I feel a little um, dysregulated. I don't need to have a conversation, but just share this space with me. And that is a very profound um, tool to have and to have at our disposal. And when we can have someone in our life that we can do that with, I think we're very fortunate and we discover how to use that as a tool. On the other hand, having a furry friend is equally um, powerful and a wonderful tool. And I think those of us that have lived alone during um, the quarantine periods and um, have probably found great solace in having a cat or a small dog that you can pull up into your lap and just um, help your nervous system come back into regulation, whether you've been watching the news or you have your own news story playing in your head. Um, but the idea of co-regulation, as far as I understand it from this theory, is this is something we are um, biologically wired to do, right? We want to connect with another human. And um, it is a beautiful tool in helping us um, invite in more ventral energy it, and um, we can do that with another human or another animal. Cameron, what might you add to that and fill in the blanks that I've missed? And you haven't missed much, which is just lovely. And what it's like to get that feel for co-regulation. And when Deb Dana really highlights it as co-regulation is one of the organizing principles, she's really talking about that biology we have that is hardwired for connection. And within that, there is that need for contact with other autonomic nervous systems, other humans, and then, then um, 
there is that biology for survival. And, and sometimes that is really a struggle because if our neuroception has learned or is picking up cues for danger, that biology is going to go for survival. It just, it always will. There's, there's no point in considering co-regulation if we're not no longer alive. And that, that co-regulation is so important for us to maintain ventral vagal, sometimes come back up the ladder through regulation. And co-regulation is that powerful hardwire we need to interact as human beings. And often that is also the way we assist interacting with ourselves from either that deep dorsal place, you know, there's the presence of you know, a loving partner or, or a, a furry friend that begins to remind us that we're here, we're okay, that offers us cues for safety. Or in that moment of you know, coming up the ladder and being very mobilized, often the presence of another, even if it's not directly speaking about, can be feel like that hand on the center of the back or you know come on we're, we're okay we're going and and assuring that return to regulation and deb also within the context of co-regulation talks about that self-regulation because co-regulation is not always possible and so there are the ways that we learn through our senses through our state tracking if we start to feel like we're making that slide down the ladder how can we gently interrupt that before it has, comes to a story like I'm a mess, I'm heading, to, you know, all the all horrible things and bring self-regulation. And so often we, we help people we know and love and work with to have some better skill sets once they start tracking that to find co-regulation more easily and or that self-regulation. You know, I think that that is such an important point you know, I think that many, I know we have all had this experience, I imagine everybody listening has too, where whether you realize it or not, you're attempting to co-regulate with somebody whose autonomic nervous system is dysregulated. Yes. And I think that it can feel very lonely and uh, it can feel like rejection and it can be a confusing situation, um, particularly if we're attempting to have um, this relationship and this state of joining again and again, and it's not feeling safe and it's not feeling connected. And so again, I think that this understanding can feel like a lightning or a spaciousness or a freedom to realize that perhaps um, in that moment, that person isn't biologically available for co-regulation because they are dysregulated themselves. And so if you go for a hike or if you pet your cat, or if you look at the sunshine and that feels more regulating than this person who you care deeply for, that, that can make sense because co-regulation isn't always available. Yeah. Megan, thank you so much for bringing that up. I, I think that's a, a challenge in, in all relationships because we can fade in and out, right? We have to pull in and take care of what we're going through at the time. And that can be very frightening, particularly with anyone with a history of abandonment or um, relationships that just haven't felt safe with any kind of trauma history. So I think recognizing that um, we can regulate on our own and also allow, there's our word, 
allow that other person to regulate themselves um, rather than demanding their presence and for our need. Yes, when we can get regulated, we are then useful for our loved ones and friends and furry friends that people can co-regulate and beings can co-regulate with us. Um, so it goes both ways. Perfect. It's such a wonderful point, Megan, too, because um, transparency is, you know, when we can say right now, I'm not well regulated. I'm not really available for you. That's about me. That's not about you. And I, I think of, you know, I'll, I'll just make it up a, a child growing up in a household that has one parent who's working very hard and, and, and simply not home very much. And a second parent who could have a, an illness or a, a experienced a loss and not be able to explain while they're they're physically there they're not available biologically for co-regulation mm. and that system that grows up in that confusing state still needs that connection and needs that co-regulation and might make up a lot of stories and get toned to go to different survival states because that's just what biology is looking for something and it's not able to find it and then it's overwhelming that I can't find something I need and and that's again where we hold in context, whether it's throughout history, how what our experience has brought to our systems, and in any given moment. Perfect, ladies. What a brilliant job of bringing this together for everyone as a recap, a recap of hierarchy, neuroception, and co-regulation, um, the principles of um, polyvagal theory. Thanks so much. <laughs>